If you'd open your Bibles back to the same spot, 1 Timothy chapter 3. The seventh instruction given to the church, or sorry, the sixth, no, seventh, sorry, uh, instruction given to the church is that we are to appoint qualified servants. You find your place in 1 Timothy 3, verse 8. Please stand. First Timothy chapter three, verse eight. Servants likewise must be dignified, not double tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as servants if they prove themselves blameless. Women, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let servants each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as servants gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these instructions and I pray that as we take a look at the role of servants in the church, that you would help each of us to look at the text, not back to past experience first and foremost, but primarily and first and exclusively to what does the Bible say? What what is the instruction as given in your word? And I pray especially for those among us for whom this will be a challenge, uh, whose experience will be different than uh, the interpretation that is brought to them this morning. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to implement your scriptures, help us to understand what they mean. I pray that you would give us great unity uh, in our church as we do this. Build us up. Help us to be servants that love you and love one another. I pray that you would glorify yourself and draw people uh, to this household, that they may be saved and discipled according to the word of God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as I was reading that, did anyone think to themselves, he's changing the words of the Bible? He, that's not what my Bible says. He didn't say deacon, he said servant. Uh, He didn't say their wives, he said women. Let me just reassure you that this is a, a translation, a good translation, but a translation. And I did not change any words of the Bible. I just gave you the words as they are in the Bible. Uh, and we're going to look at that. The first word, deacon. Do you know that deacon is not even an English word? Deacon is a Greek word. Take a look up here. The Greek word 
which we put as deacon, is diakonos. Diakonos. So the word deacon, you can see how that clearly comes from diakonos. You take the OS off the end, and then you very much have deacon. But if you go to other places, for example, if you take your Bible and you go to Romans 16, verse 1, and don't do that now, we're going to go there in a minute, the word diakonos in your Bible, which is English, is probably going to say servant. Why would, why would they be so inconsistent? You know, who's wrong? Well, diakonos means servant. That's what it means. So whenever you come across the word deacon in an English translation, what you have to remind yourself is the Bible was given to us in Greek, and what deacon is is the Greek word diakonos, which is most often translated, with very few exceptions, servant. That's the first thing. It's a matter of translation. Now, I know what we have done. We've said, well, deacon is no longer a Greek word. It's an English word, and it means this, and it means that, and it means the other thing. And this is my experience with deacons, and so this is what a deacon is. And if you change the word deacon in 1 Timothy 3.1, then you are, what you're, you're challenging my experience. And I don't mean to do that. My goal is not to challenge anyone, but to be clear. And the word deacon has become so supercharged with all kinds of different interpretations, all kinds of different historical expressions, all kinds of different personal preferences, that the word has become unuseful when we come to a text like this. Because we're so distracted by the word that we can't even see what the text says anymore. I want to remind you that I am charged under Christ not to affirm anyone's past experience. It's not, it's not what God has called me to be or to do as a preacher and overseer in the church. Uh, we are not starting with the question, will we or should we have female deacons? I mean, you see where this is going, right? So let's just let the cat out of the bag. That's not the right place to start. This sermon series is about reading, learning, understanding, and then implementing the Word of God. So, so where we start is, will we or will we not have women deacons, has already loaded with personal preference, personal experience, and personal interpretation. What we are trying to do in this series is to say, what does the Word of God say? And then implement it. So, I also want you to just... Um, just understand the position I'm in. The sermons last week and then the first sermon this week opens me up, let's just be honest, to the charge that I and we are far too restrictive against women. How could you say that a woman is not permitted to teach or exercise authority over a man? Now, you may not feel that way, any, any one of you, but let's just acknowledge that that's, that's the risk that that I, I take upon myself when I stand up here, but I don't really care too much because my job is not to please anyone but to interpret the Word of God, to be faithful in that. Ironically, 
we get, go from verse 7 to verse 8, and the same man, me, is now open up to the charge that I'm being far too liberal with women. I, I'm just opening the floodgates. Because where, where we're going is that women can serve as servants in the church. So which is it? Am I far too restrictive against women? Or am I far too liberal with women? Well, I don't really care too much to decide on that. What I hope we can agree, through much effort if need be, that I'm being faithful to the text. That, that I want women to have every opportunity that the Lord Jesus Christ has given to women. I want women to, to live out the fullness of how God has created women and to celebrate that. And what I don't want as a pastor, as an overseer, as a church, is to be more restrictive than Jesus Christ or to be more liberal than Jesus Christ, to be more restrictive than the Word of God or to be more liberal than the Word of God. Let's figure out what the Word of God says, not what we think it says or want it to say. Let's figure out what the Word of God says and then implement that. Which means this, I'm, I need to ask something of you. No matter where you stand on women deacons, what, no matter what your experience has been, would you just put that to the side and look at, spend the next half an hour with me looking at the text? And then if you feel that, oh, you know, the elders have got this wrong, come and talk to us about it. But bring your Bible and I don't, I, I can't, and we can't just talk about what my experience is. Bring your Bible and let's see what the Word of God says. And then we'll do that. Uh, just as I said a few weeks ago, when you get married, everyone brings baggage from the household they grew up in. And you got to figure it out when you enter into that new household. That's what I'm asking of us now. This is the household that we're a part of, and we are committed to the Word of God. I, I will preach the Word of God to my death if I have to. So please, I'm sharing my heart. It's maybe longer than I needed to take, but I think it's important because this is controversial. Disagree with me. If you must, and with us, the elders, we've talked a lot about this. But please don't question our commitment to the word of God. That's what this is all about. Let's take a look. The first thing that we must notice, this passage is built on two main planks. If you don't see the structure of the passage, then you won't understand the passage. The two main planks of this passage are verse 8 and verse 11. Now take a look at how similar they are. What I have done here is I've just put them in order. I haven't changed the order. The Greek words of verse 8 and then the Greek words of verse 11. And I, look at how similar they are. Deacons, women, likewise, likewise, must be dignified, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not slanderers, not addicted to much wine, sober-minded, not greedy for dishonest gain, faithful in all things. Now, now look at the Greek words. You have to get 
all the way to the fourth word before there's any deviation at all. And look at how slight the deviation is. Even in the Greek, the two words sound the same. They definitely mean the same thing. Uh, not to be double-tongued is not to be a slanderer. And, and in fact, in verse 11, which is all about women, it's don't be diabolical, which is don't be like Satan, the father of lies. It's all about the things that we say. Don't, don't do double-speak. Don't have a forked tongue, is what it says in verse 8, which makes you think of snakes. The parallel is stunning. And then you have, do not be addicted to much wine given to the male servants. And then the comparable one to the, to the women is to be sober-minded. And, and what I want you to see there is it's a negative prohibition to the men, and it's a positive exhortation to the women. But it's the same thing. Be sober and then you get to the last words, not greedy for dishonest gain is in verse 8. That's given to the male servants. And then you have faithful in all things given to the women. And it means the same thing, except it's a prohibition negatively said to the men, and it's an affirmation or an exhortation in the positive to the women. That is, if you're going to be looking after the church's money, if you're going to be looking after the church's resources, be faithful. Don't be greedy for dishonest gain. Don't steal. So, so before we look at the rest of the passage, what we have to at least conclude is that there is, there, there's an instruction given to male servants in verse 8. Three verses later, there's a, a list of instructions given or, or qualifications given to women. And they're very much the same. Now you might say, well, my Bible doesn't say women. My Bible says they're wives. So this is not about, you know, it's about wives of deacons being similarly qualified. Look at the footnote in your Bible. You don't take my word for it, but we'll do. You should be able to trust me. But, but it's also in your Bible. If it's a good translation, there will be a footnote that says, there is no third-person plural pronoun. That is the there. It's not there. And the word is uh, this Greek word, gunaikos, which means women. It can also mean wives, but there was no word for wife. Uh, Ange is my woman. So, is it wives or women? Well, we're going to resolve that. We're going to land and say that it's, it's not about wives of deacons. It's about women. But before we get there, I just want to sort of cross the T's and dot the I's. These two verses are the backbone of this passage. They lay out the major qualifications for servants in the church. Verse 8 is about male servants. Verse 11 is about female servants. And similarly qualified. Now, with these two verses in our minds as our solid planks, notice what happens when we fill in the passage. So th this is where you start. If you could make this passage three-dimensional, these two verses come to the forefront. Now let's fill it in with sort of the verses in the background. What did 1 Timothy 2.12 say? I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. So the, the, the idea there is that women are not to teach men. They can teach 
women, and women can teach children. In fact, it's expected, and God has gifted women to do that. Uh, but they're not to teach men, and they're not to exercise authority. That, and then right after that, we had verses 1 to 7, which de- dealt with the men who will be teaching and exercising authority. That's already dealt with. Now we get to this next group of people, which are servants in the church. And what we're going to see as we fill in this passage is that these servants, whether they're male servants or female servants, there is no expectation for teaching. In fact, they're not to teach. And there is no expectation for exercising authority over men. There is no authority. Now, if we are sola scriptura people, if we take the Bible so seriously, which I hope that we do, if... (laughs) If this position does not require teaching or authority, why in the world would we say women ought not to serve? I, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I'm fully on board with women are not to teach or have authority over a man. The overseers are to do that. Now we're talking about something different. And what has happened in our experiences, there are many churches who have implemented 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, overseers, and they've called the men that are fulfilling verses 1 to 7, they've called them deacons. So I'm not against churches implementing verses 1 to 7, having male overseers, They've unfortunately, in my mind, muddied the waters by misnaming the men that serve in that capacity and has made it really difficult to then get to the verses we're looking at now and to say that this is not gender exclusive. Let's fill this in. As we get going, you're going to see uh, why I, I, I believe this. So verse 9 says that These servants are to be believers, not teachers. Servants of the church must be believers. But they're not to be teachers, at least in their capacity as servants. So you may have a servant who's also gifted to teach. If it's a woman, then she can only teach women and children. If it's a man, then you look for opportunities, even though it's not in their capacity as a servant, but because they also have the gift of teaching, then you give them opportunity to teach. But as deacons or servants, there's no expectation for teaching. Take a look at verse 9. They must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. That stands in contrast to the qualification for overseers must be able to teach. They must hold to to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Now, let's talk about verse 9. Could that be said of men and women equally? Men and women in the church must hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. Anyone think that that verse, just the verse itself, just self-evidently cannot be applied to a woman? No, women, women in the church ought to hold to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. This is about the servants of the church being believers, not teachers. And just a side note, so what about our, our uh, children's ministry teachers? 
they're, they're teachers, but not in the, in the same way that overseers are teachers. So many women can teach children. Many women can teach women. Women can teach women. Men can teach men. But servants of the church must be believers, not teachers. Then take a look at verse 10. So that deals with half of the 1 Timothy 2.12. The second half is, I do not permit a woman to exercise authority over a man. Well, well, these deacons, these servants are to be helpers, not leaders. Take a look at verse 10. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as servants or deacons, diakonos, if they prove themselves blameless. This verse is all about being under the authority of the overseers. Who is it that tests the servants? Who is it that says, yes, you are permitted to be a servant in the church? Is it not the overseers who exercise authority? Who are men? So, so the very nature of what the Bible is asking these deacons to do is not to lead, not to have authority, but to fall under the authority of another. Let them be tested. That's a, that's a position of submission, not authority. Let them be tested. And if they are found to be blameless, then let them serve. So they're under someone's authority, namely the male overseers. They're helpers, not leaders. Thirdly, and this gets a little bit more um, difficult, controversial. In verse 12, we see that servants of the church are permitted to be managers, but not governors. I, I think we've got ourselves in a lot of trouble here by, by saying that what it means in 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not permit a woman to exercise authority over a man, is that a woman can't make any decisions. That a woman can't take any initiative. That a woman can't put together a, a class schedule. That a woman can't call a male plumber. That a, that a woman can't make a request of a man. Now, now let me just ask you, anyone's household operate that way? Men, can your wife call you on your way home from church and say, could you please pick up a, a bag of milk? Sure she can. Can she write a list of things that need to be done around the house? Absolutely. Does that mean that she's exercising authority over a man? We, again, we've made it more complicated than it needs to be. A woman is not to give spiritual or structural oversight to the church. But those who have that responsibility ought to be able to delegate certain things to men and women. And so what we see in verse 12 is that these servants are to be managers, not governors. Take a look at verse 12. We'll get, get back to the first half. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife. I'm going to deal with that in due course. What I want you to see here is this. Managing their children and their own households well. Well, can a woman manage her children and her own household well? Is that gender exclusive? Think about it for a minute. Remember, I also already said that in 
chapter 3, verse 4, when we're talking about overseers, the male overseers must be able to exercise authority, keeping their children submissive. That's not listed here. That is a noticeable omission. And then flip over to chapter 5, verse 14. If you think that it's only men that can manage their own households well, then we really have to wrestle with verse 14 of chapter 5. I would have younger widows marry, bear children, and manage their households. What does it mean to manage your household? Well, take care of it. Make decisions. Uh, be empowered by your husbands to do things. So I recognize the first half of verse 12. We'll get back to it. It's a bit problematic. It seems very gender exclusive. But the second half, can anyone here say that this qualification, managing their children and their own households well, is only applicable to men? No, it's men and women. And then we come to verse 13, that servants who serve well become recognized as members in good standing in the church. Is is that exclusive to men? Verse 13, take a look at it. For those who serve well as deacons or servants gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Don't we want both men and women to be in good standing in the church? That What that basically means is that the people in the church look at these individuals and say, they're making a good contribution to the life of the church. That's literally what it means. People recognize, wow, we're so glad that, that Bert is in our church. Look at, look at how he's serving. That's, that's what that means. And then the second half is uh, that they will gain great confidence in, faith, in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. And, and this is all about them making their election sure that, that there's evidences that the things that they believe are being manifested in their lives through action. Just take that on its surface. Can't we say that that also is true for men and women? We want both men and women to be recognized as, as making a positive contribution to the life of the church. Don't we want men and women both to make their election sure by the things that they do and the way that they serve, the character that they d demonstrate? Yes. Now, what we've just done then is we've taken a careful look at this passage. And with the exception of verse 8 which is clearly to a group, to, given to a group of men. And the first half of verse 12, there's nothing objectionable in this passage if we apply it to women. Now let's deal with verse 8. If, if it was only verse 8, I would have a hard time saying this is open to men and women. But we have verse 11, which is exactly the same as verse 8. And it's clearly directed to women. So that cancels that out, which leaves us with the first half of verse 12. So what I, I hope we're getting to is we're seeing that this whole, with the exception of investing so much meaning into the Greek word diakonos, outside of that, 
pumping all kinds of meaning that's external to the text, which is called eisegesis. Uh, I mean, we read into the text rather than extracting from the text. This passage is gender inclusive, male and female, with the exception of verse 12, let deacons each be the husband of one wife. Well, what do I do with that? Does that mean that we must uh, anchor this whole passage to male-only servants in the church? Uh, I would say no for a couple of reasons. Number one, if it's true of men, it's true of women. So Paul could have said, he could have said, and, and women likewise. But, but he's probably just presuming, well, of course, if the men have to be faithful to their wives, the wives, women ought to be faithful to their husbands. But I think there's an additional thing going on here, which is in any society, who is most likely to be polygamous? It's the men. You, there, I don't know of a single culture uh, in, the, in the human realm, I mean, if you get into beekeeping, it's different. One queen, a lot of worker bees. Uh, but other than that, polygamous cultures are one man with many women. I don't know of any cultures where it's one woman with many husbands, which means that that qualification is, is sort of doesn't apply. Now, if we're still not satisfied, I, I want to say I recognize that may not be completely satisfactory it just drowns in the weight of the rest therefore in keeping with 1st Timothy 2 verse 12 which says what I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man I think I've repeated that about five or six times which means I'm fully aware that that verse is in the Bible we want to move forward and implement these verses. Deacons are not to be teachers or governors. They are to be believers. They are to be helpers. They are to be managers. And they are to be servants. All things that God has called men and women to. With the time remaining, I want to just underscore and there may be some repetition here, but I want to underscore eight reasons that the elders feel that this passage intends both men and women to serve as servants in the local church. Eight reasons. Uh, and this is where we're more com most comfortable. Uh, we want to be very careful to let you know that we're, we're not here pointing the finger at other churches who've interpreted these verses differently. We recognize that there's some debate within the family, right? There's different churches that do different things on these verses. But this is where we are most comfortable. And this is where we would like to invite you to come. Come with us. Wrestle with this if you have to, but come with us to see that it, by implementing these verses, it makes most sense of the text to appoint men and women to be recognized servants without teaching responsibilities and without governing authority in the local church. Eight reasons. Number one, the household metaphor. And we talked about this already. Uh, the household is divided, and we go back to Genesis for this, uh, men and women, right? A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And in that one flesh union, that new household, the man is the head. He's he exercises authority and leadership in that marriage. And woman is created to help. 
Uh, what I want you to see as we move into the church is we have headship help, helper, maintain. Who, who plays the role of the husband in the church? Verses 1 to 7, the male overseers. Who plays the role of helper in the church? Men and women. So it's not only women that can be helper, but men and women fill that function. So if that makes sense to us in the home, I hope that it can make sense to us in the church. And if women were created by God to be helpers in the home, and, and this is the household of God, and we see that God wants us to see the two institutions and the two groupings very much on equal terms, why shouldn't women be qualified to be helpers in the church? That's why a woman was created in the first place. So the first reason is if we take this household metaphor seriously, and I think we ought to because of chapter 3, uh, 14, and 15, I, I hope to come to you soon, but I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, you might know how you are supposed to behave. Where? In the household of God. So what, what God is telling us is he wants us to set up the church the same way that we set up home. Let's be consistent. Uh, second reason, and I, I think I've gone over this enough, but let me just wrap it up, tie it together. If a woman were to fulfill 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 to 13, so that's that passage on deacons. If a woman were to fulfill everything there, she would not be in violation of 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 15. And isn't that what we're so concerned about, right? We want to guard 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 15, which talks about you know, the role of women in the church. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority of men. We want to guard that, and rightly so. But, but just take a look carefully at verses 8 to 13 of the next chapter. And if a woman were to do all those things, she's not in violation of that which we're trying to guard. And this is where I think the weakness of Bible-believing, sold-out-for-Christ, evangelical, complementarian churches lies. In our zeal to get it right especially on gender issues, in our zeal to notice the distinction between men and women, manhood and womanhood, the roles of each, we've overcorrected. And we've become more restrictive than the Bible is. And we've told women that they're not permitted to do the very thing that God has created them to do. And so I... I just, I hope we can see that. And I, I hope you also hear that I affirmed with a lot of positive adjectives churches that are doing this. Bible-believing, Christ-loving, upholding the word of God churches. This is a weakness. This is, an, this is a problem. And so if we're going to be a complementarian church, which just means we notice a distinction between men and women, let's let's get it right. Uh, number four, fourth, or no, third reason, and we've gone over this. Look at the near verbatim symmetry of verses 3.8 uh, three and 3.11. Uh, just take another look at it here. 
you, you can't deny that Paul is trying to tie these two verses together. I, I, I don't think, anyway. Maybe, maybe you could deny it, but I can't. I, I can't help but see that Paul is very intentionally saying, read this verse like you read the last verse. So it's, it's almost exactly the same words. It's definitely the same, the same uh, qualification. So Paul's inviting us to see that qualified women are equally eligible to the position of servant as qualified men. And then let's just look at this in a little more detail. Uh, reason number four, the first word of, of verse 11, we go to the next slide, is gunaikas, which, if you go to the next slide, is in this symmetry, it is directly parallel to the word for deacon. The, whoever the male deacons are, the, the women are being called to the same thing. And then take a look at the second word. This is reason number five. Likewise, it's the same word in verse eight and verse 11. So whereas the likewise in verse eight is saying, just as you have male overseers doing this, likewise I want male servants doing this, and likewise I want women doing this. That's just the flow of the macro uh, passage. Male elders doing this, likewise male deacons doing this, likewise women deacons doing this. Um, the, the word likewise really tells us that women, whoever these women are, they are to serve as male servants serve. If this was about the wives of male servants, the word likewise would not be necessary. Because what the likewise does is it highlights the women, not the male deacons. Do you see that? If this was about the wives of deacons, it wouldn't say likewise. It would have just said women uh, of deacons or something, or women. Or, but it doesn't say that. It says women likewise. So these qualifications are no longer about the deacons identified in verse 8. They're about this group of women identified in verse 11. So the word likewise introduces a third group. You have male overseers, male servants, and women servants. Those are the three groups. Uh, reason number six. The qualifications for women in chapter 3 verse 11 suggest that these women will be doing something very similar to whatever the male servants are doing in verse 8. Right? If they have to be qualified, it's because they have to do something. So if these are the wives of deacons, they're doing very much the same thing that the deacons are doing anyway. In which case it becomes redundant. The whole point of qualifications is to be qualified to do something. So the women in verse 11 are doing the very same things that the men are doing in verse 8. Uh, reason number 7, there are no qualifications listed for wives of overseers. That's a noticeable omission, right? If this is about the wives of deacons, why don't we have qualifications for the wives of overseers? Well, we don't because this is not about the wives of deacons. It's about women servants. And then reason number eight, and I'll let your discipleship groups discuss this more, but Paul recognizes Phoebe, a woman, as a servant in the church at Sencre in Romans 16, 1 and 2. Just flip there, and this will close our time. Romans 16, verses 1 and 2. I commend to you, church in Rome, 
our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sencre. And just in case you're wondering, yes, it's diakonos. I think I said that earlier. Of the church at Sencre. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. And help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Now just four points that you can talk about more in your discipleship group. If Phoebe is not a deacon in the sense of whatever verses 8 through 13 are about in 1 Timothy 3, then Paul's being very confusing. Right? By, by the time he writes this, deacons are already well established. So why would he say, I commend to you this woman who is a deacon at this church? And it's a very official sounding title, right? It's not a woman who is servant-hearted. It's a servant of the church at Sencre. It's very official. She's a deacon. Uh, thirdly, the word diakonos here is given in the masculine, even though Phoebe is a woman. Now, some commentators suggest that there was no feminine version of this word, that it was just unheard of in the, in the Greco-Roman world that a woman would ever serve. Or it might be that Paul is using the word diakonos in the masculine to refer to the position and not the woman. Fourthly, if you're not convinced by any of that, just look at verse 2. He describes Phoebe doing deacon things. I want you to help her, which means she's going to make requests of you. That goes back to managing authority. And I want you to help her because she's helped many. She has been an active servant in the church, a recognized servant in the church. And I'm sending her to you so that she can help you to establish servants in your church. So those are the eight reasons that we believe it, it makes most sense for um, this to be open to men and women. So, does this mean that South Shore is going to have women deacons? Here we are back at the beginning, and it's still a scary question, isn't it? I don't know how I'd feel about that, like, because it just doesn't feel right. So the way we're going to answer this is yes and no. Yes and no. Let me start with the yes. We will be applying 1 Timothy 3, 8 to 13 to both men and women. Uh, we will be appointing both male and female servants to help the male overseers in the church. Now, I, that doesn't sound too scary. But if I said it this way, we will be appointing both male and female deacons to help the male elders. That sounds scary. But it's just, I just changed out the word elder for overseer and servant for deacon. Which they mean the same things. So, yes, we will be applying these verses to men and women. We will have male and female servants helping the male elders. But no. What about the no? Since the word deacon comes with so much good and bad baggage, we're not going to call our servants deacons. And we have every right to do that. There's no, nowhere in the Bible that says you must... Call your servants diakonos. It doesn't say that. Uh, just as there's three words for elders, right? Episkopos, presbyteros, and uh, poimenos. Those are three different words that mean overseer, bishop, and shepherd. And we don't use any of those English translations. We use the word elder. 
And we're all okay with that, right? Like, we, we understand that. So we're not going to use the anglicized Greek word deacon, which is diakonos, to, to identify our servants. Because it just, it's hard to understand, it's packed with emotional baggage, and we're not going to do it. So we are going to call our servants stewards. Which means that we already have implemented this instruction. We've got male and female stewards. And I, I did give our female stewards the heads up that this was coming. I said, but this is where we've landed. That the stewards, what they really are is they are manager helpers. Who are helping the male overseers to do the work of the ministry. And just because we said that we we're going to appoint men and women as stewards of the church doesn't mean that we are required to appoint any women to be stewards. They have to be qualified women, and the position has to fit. It has to be right. We have to be comfortable with, with that. Um, so just so you know, we're opening that up as we already have, and we're just drawing your attention to the fact that steward, which means somebody who's taking care of somebody else's something, these stewards are caring for a ministry that doesn't belong to them. They exercise no governing authority over that ministry. They manage it on behalf of Jesus Christ under the oversight of male overseers, which we call elders. Thus, to say it again, we will implement... 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7, by appointing qualified elders. And we will implement 1 Timothy 3, verses 8 to 13, by appointing qualified stewards. I hope that if you struggle with this, uh, that you'll come and talk to us. Uh, if you're a woman who struggles with this, I encourage you to talk to my wife. She's studied this issue at length. Um, but do come and talk to us. Don't just simmer on it. Come and talk to us and bring your Bible. Just as Eve was created to help Adam, just as a wife is called to help her husband, so also male and female stewards will be appointed in this church to help the male elders. Let's pray. Oh God, I thank you for your word. I pray for us as a church that you would help us to take a, a, a real serious look at what the scriptures say, and then to implement them. I thank you for the men that you've given to us in this church who can be uh, leaders uh, in the capacity of elders and who can be leaders in their home. And I thank you for all of the, the, the abundance of qualified women that you have given to us, and we want to give them every biblical opportunity to serve. We want to value the gifts that you've entrusted by your Holy Spirit. So that we can be a church that takes seriously uh, both the gender distinction between men and women, but also the fullness of the life that you've called us to in the church. I pray that you would help us and glorify yourself in Christ's name. Amen.